Hello and welcome to this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Isaac, and I had the privilege of continuing the series Permanent Markers with Episode 9 today during our Sunday morning service. And so I'm excited to bring this message to you um, about a man in Scripture named Rehoboam and the decisions that he made and the long-lasting effect, the permanent mark that it left on this world. And so, you know, if, if you think about the decisions that you have to make in life, um, we make wise decisions and we make foolish decisions, wise and unwise decisions, and both leave a permanent mark. So by looking at Rehoboam's life, my hope is that you would find yourself encouraged to seek wise counsel and to make wise decisions. Hey, if you would like to know anything that's going on as the summer concludes and the fall is coming, the fall is on its way, I encourage you to go to beartownroad.org. So without further ado, let's jump into this message titled, Rehoboam, A Nation Divided. Right. Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> Come on, let's do better than that. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, that's right. That's that type of energy I'm talking about. Hey, I'm excited to have the chance to bring to you this uh, next part of our series, Permanent Markers. When Pastor Dave and I and Pastor Lucas and the staff were talking about this series um, towards the end of the spring, knowing that we would you know, want to do something through the summer, I was excited because this idea of talking about people or concepts that leave permanent marks in our lives is really powerful. So it's been exciting to kind of study some of the lives of people in Scripture and out of Scripture who left marks on this world. And so I really do consider it a privilege to be able to bring this next message to you. And I think that this is really the foundation of this series that we're asking, is that our decisions leave permanent marks. That's just the reality, that the things that we choose to do and we choose not to do Um, They leave lasting marks in our lives and the lives of others, in our families, in our workplaces, even here in our church. And we've spent some time in this series really talking about individuals that have left um, good permanent marks on this world. But I want to challenge us this morning because I think that this is true, that our wise and unwise decisions leave permanent marks. Certainly, when we do things that are good, when we do things that are godly, when we do things that are helpful or beneficial, that impacts the world in a powerful way. And we like to be encouraged and built up by thinking about all the things we can do that have a positive influence. But the reality also is that the decisions that we make that are unwise or foolish or not godly, those decisions, <clears throat> those decisions also leave permanent marks on our lives and on this world. And so we talked about a whole bunch of kind of like heroes so far in this series. And I get to talk about an anti-hero today, which is going to be super exciting. Um, so here's, here's a question I want to ask you. Who is it that you get advice from? When we think about needing help in making decisions in our lives, who do we seek advice from? I put together a list of just potential things. Our parents, um, good to get advice from them they tend to have some of the best insight available for our lives because they know us and they love us. Family, um, brothers, sisters, cousins, maybe our spouse. Um, I, I don't remember who said it, but um, I think that it's interesting how often our spouse sounds like the Holy Spirit, right? And we'd be really wise to listen to our spouse's insight more often. Um, our employer, or maybe I'm really guilty with this one, top 10 best list online, 
So a little bit of transparency here. I have really been like looking for waterproof shoes recently and I can't find them. And I've been through every bit of top 10 waterproof shoes list online. Terrible advice. I still can't get them. Usually they're trying to make money off of you. Social media or forums. I know some of you older gentlemen are in a lot of hobby forums. And listen, they will tell you, you can buy all of the things you need to go through with your hobby, whether it's woodworking or mechanic stuff, whatever it is. Maybe it's even friends. Um, Oftentimes, we go to friends for help. They tend to have insight on our lives as well. But I want to challenge you with this, that we tend to avoid people who will give us totally honest advice. We tend to. We don't all the time avoid those people, but we tend to shy away from people who will tell us just the truth and who will be totally honest with us. Because we don't like to be wrong. We don't like to have to change our minds. Really what we want is somebody to just affirm the decisions that we've already made, right? That's, that's what we tend to do. Now, every once in a while, we have strokes of brilliance where we go, actually, I do want somebody's advice here who might challenge me or make me think differently. So I'll tell you this story. Um, it's not like a super great story, and I've struggled figuring out, you know, should I tell this or not? But I figured I would. So when I was a junior in high school, I was 17 years old, but I was turning 18 in the summer in August. So I would have been 18 before going into my senior year of high school. And I had done a lot of thinking and a lot of processing, and what I wanted to do was join the National Guard. If I would have joined the National Guard when I was a junior, then I could have gone to basic training during uh, the summer of my junior to senior year and gone to advanced training after my senior year and effectively had a year of service in before actually having to um, you know, be um, full-time enlisted, in other words, because I could still be in high school. And that seemed like a really good idea. I was excited about it. We had like a recruiter that we were talking to. Um, however, there was just one holdup is that because I was 17, my parents had to sign off on the decision whether or not I could actually enlist. And so after, you know, going through the process of having these conversations and um, talking with recruiters really of like various military branches, uh, my parents came up to me and they told me, you know, Isaac, we have been, we've been seeking counsel, we've been praying about this decision, and we really don't feel like we can sign off on you enlisting in the military right now. They didn't say no, they just said, once you're 18, you can make that decision for yourself, but we don't feel released to allow you to do that right now. And that was, a, that, that was like hard to hear, and I was very angry, said things I shouldn't have said and acted in a way that I definitely shouldn't have acted, but I was angry and I was frustrated because their insight and counsel was not something that I wanted to hear. Now, I didn't have a choice but to abide by that because there's nothing I could do about it because I was a minor and they would have had to have signed off on my ability to enlist. And that's just an example of like, we don't, I didn't want that. I wanted, I had everybody that could affirm me, recruiters and even, um, you know, my future spouse, because Carrie and I were together at that time and my in-laws and people that were like, had some hesitation, but I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want to hear that, you know, that advice that wouldn't, that wouldn't kind of click with the thing that I really wanted to. And so I tell you that story to kind of get your minds thinking about times when you've received counsel That was the other direction of what you really wanted to hear, and it changed the trajectory of your life. There is a really cool story um, from the history of the nation of Israel. Now, Israel, um, I'll give you like a real brief history, ready? This is like like an Old Testament summary really fast. Here's a timeline. First, you start with Abraham, 
then you had Isaac, and then you had Jacob. Jacob ended up with his entire family in Egypt, where after 400 years, they were enslaved, and Moses led them out of Egypt, and ultimately, a man named Joshua took the Hebrew people into the promised land, where eventually we land at the time of the kings. And the very first king of Israel, his name was Saul. Saul did good, and then Saul did bad. And so he lost the kingdom, and David became king. David was um, an extraordinary individual. He is spoken about and, and wrote more than just about anybody else did in Scripture. Besides Jesus himself, we know second as much about David. It's incredible. David made really good decisions. He loved God deeply. Um, the kings of Israel would always be compared to David when they did or didn't do right. They did follow in David's footsteps or they didn't. However, he did make some mistakes towards the end of his life. And when he died, his son Solomon took over. Now, Solomon was a really cool guy because he was humble before God early on while he was reigning. And he went to God one time. God came to him and said, um, Solomon, you know, I can, I can give you anything that you desire. The Lord really loves Solomon. And Solomon said, would you give me wisdom to be a good king? Because I don't know how to do it. And God blessed him with supernatural insight into the world. He wrote extraordinary scriptures that we have today. He wrote things like the Proverbs and Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, and all these books that are so helpful for us to process the difficulties of life, even as we go about making decisions. However, Solomon messed up really bad at the end of his life. First Kings tells us this, the Lord clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry foreign wives because they will turn your hearts to their gods. This was part of the law that Israel was given. Don't marry foreign people because they will turn your hearts away from God. Solomon had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God, as his father David had been. See, there's that phrase, as his father David had been. God warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. Now the Lord said to him, since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. The kingdom wasn't taken from Solomon immediately. The Lord actually said, you're going to keep it, but you're, it, I'm going to take it from your descendant. The nation's going to be split. Not all of it, but the majority of it is going to be taken from your family. Because the things Solomon was doing were really bad. Worshiping pagan gods in this time was really, really bad. Like burn your children alive bad. It doesn't get much darker than that. But unfortunately, he was dissuaded from pursuing God because his wives of royal birth, clan leaders, the daughters of actual other nations, they turned his heart from God. And so when he died, he was buried in the city of David, named for his father. Then his son, Rehoboam, became the next king. Rehoboam um, is now the king of Israel. And so you have Saul and David and Solomon, and now we have Rehoboam. And so um, Rehoboam is the individual that I would like to talk about this morning. I want to look at an event in his life 
that is arguably the defining moment of the history of Israel that had a permanent mark that has lasted very literally to today. The decision that Rehoboam makes as he um, is given the leadership of Israel has lasted lasted for the entire history of Israel, lasted through the time of Jesus and all the way up through till today. And that's what we're going to talk about. So Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all of Israel had gathered to make him king. Now, if you look at this map of Israel, Jerusalem is right down here. This is where uh, Solomon was king, it's where David was king, it's where they were um, during the time when Solomon died, and that's where he was buried. That was the city of David, that's where he was buried. So then he travels all the way up here to Shechem, which is like a 65-mile route um, up and around some mountains all the way up to Shechem. And it's like, okay, why is it that he would want to have his coronation all the way up in Shechem? And I think that this is why. I think that Solomon wrestled with fear and insecurity. He was, from the very beginning, looking to make sure that the promise given to his dad Solomon didn't come true. He was scared that he was going to lose power. He was scared that he was going to lose control. Of all of Solomon's sons and daughters, and we don't even know how many there were, there were just so many people that he had relationships with. Rehoboam became the king, and from the very beginning, he wrestled with fear. We know that Solomon knew what was going to happen to his kingdom because God told him. We also know who it is, a guy named Jeroboam, that was going to receive the portion of the kingdom that was ripped away from Solomon. Solomon even tried to kill this guy. And so it's no question that Rehoboam knew what was going to happen, and he's wrestling with fear and insecurity. And we see the first thing he does is he goes 65 miles north out of the capital into the town of Shechem so that he could be as near to as many people in Israel as possible. If you see, a lot of the tribes of Israel were further north, the majority of them. So by going north, it made it accessible for more people more quickly to get there at his coronation. And so his plan initially kind of began to work because people flocked to Shechem for his coronation. The people came to see Rehoboam as Shechem but they came and they made a request of him. So as they're looking to make Rehoboam the king, the people come and they have something that they, that they want to ask Rehoboam. They need his help with something. They came to ask him a really difficult and hard question. It was difficult for them and it was also difficult for Rehoboam to hear. This is what they asked. They said, your father was a hard master. They said, lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us. Then we will be your loyal subjects. See, Solomon was filthy rich. Now, God gave him riches, but the, the guy was just extraordinary in the amount of money he had. It's estimated that he had just a personal revenue of a little over a billion dollars of wealth being generated every single year by the labor that he was putting people in, by the gold mines and silver mines that he had, that he was building up for himself, in addition to all of the taxes that he charged various other countries that wanted relationships with him because of his wisdom and because, you know, he's the husband of these different um, girls that were the daughters of royal descent. And so Solomon drove a really, really hard country um, into a lot of labor, into a lot of taxes, and it was tough. And the people are burnt out. And they come and they're like, maybe Rehoboam can help us. So they ask him this hard question, can you, can you please lighten the demands? Rehoboam replied, 
give me three days to think this over, then come back for my answer. So the people went away. So this might be one of like two good things we ever see Rehoboam do. And it's that he didn't give an answer immediately. He was like, give me some time to think about this. I think that's some counsel that's good for us. But Rehoboam has a golden opportunity here. This is like the lob ball that's thrown to him. And he has a chance to hit a grand slam. Because the people said, we need help. We're we're overtaxed. We're overworked. We need help. Can you please lighten those demands? And we will love having you as our king. And this is like everything that Rehoboam's looking for. The opportunity to not have what God said would happen, happen. And I think that God often honors our diligence and he honors our patience. When we make decisions quickly, we tend to make bad decisions. I'm not talking about flight or fight or flight stuff. I'm not talking about emergent things that need to be made. But I'm talking like when we choose to do things quickly without thinking about it, a lot of times that's where like things tend to go south. And I think that God honors patience and he honors diligence when you can wait a few days before making that big purchase that you're considering doing. You know, when there's a relationship that you're like, you know, I just don't know what I should do if I should enter into it. Should I go on that date? Should I not? Should I have this conversation with my spouse or not? Sometimes God honors that patience where we say, you know what, God, I really really just want to like seek after you here because I don't know what to do and I need your help. And that's what Rehoboam does. He says, you know, I want to get God's insight here. At least he thought he wanted to get God's insight. And so he approaches the counselors that his dad had, that Solomon had. These men that served alongside of Solomon through his life, that witnessed the wisdom of Solomon, that supernatural wisdom and insight. And this is what they said to him. The older counselors replied, if you are willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. Once again, this affirms that this is his golden opportunity, and this is great advice. This is great advice. There's no denying that this is really, really good advice, because this is his chance to secure his grasp on the kingdom. He already was functioning out of a little bit of insecurity and fear, traveling up to Shechem instead of staying in Jerusalem, and now he has this chance. All he's got to do is say, you know what? Yes, I can do that, and this advice came at a cost to these advisors, too, Because you got to imagine that these are people that are reaping the benefits of the wealth of Solomon and of the insight and of the accumulation of property and things that Solomon had. These advisors have skin in the game when they tell Rehoboam, hey, give them what they need. Because if you just give them this, then they'll be loyal to you. Then they'll love you. For the rest of your days, they'll love you. But... As we know, great advice does not always mean that a great decision is going to be made. And that is hurtful. When we're the ones that give the advice and the poor decision is made, or we're the ones that get the advice and that poor decision is made. We can give all the great advice we want, but every one of us has the freedom to make the choice that we desire to make. Which is why we're held accountable for our own decisions We're not held accountable for other people's decisions. So Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men. First thing it says after this advice, he rejected it. Rehoboam made up his mind before getting any other advice. He may have started out by saying, give me a couple days. But when he heard what it would cost, he said, 
no way, I'm not doing that. I'm not giving up power and control. I can't. It's already too insecure. My grip on the kingdom is already too insecure. If I give up that control, then I'm going to lose it, and I can't afford to do that. I don't want to lose this kingdom. His fear and his insecurity drove him to make the decision to say, I'm not doing that. And so instead, he asked the opinion of the younger men who had grown up with him and were now his advisors. The young men replied, this is what you should tell those complainers. Like if the first bit of advice that you get is an insult towards somebody that you're looking for help from, that's not great advice, probably. 99% of the time, it's not great advice. This is what you should tell those complainers who want a lighter burden. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. Like, what? What type of advice is that? Like, are you kidding me? Like, we hear that and we're like, scorpions? Are you serious? What does it even mean? You guys, for Summer Blast, made me eat a scorpion, and I thought that was pretty bad. But I can't imagine that thing alive attached to something being whipped by it. And it's obviously like metaphorical. Like he's not going to actually take scorpions and whip them with it. But it's like they just wanted to tell him like you need to rule with authority and with might. And that's what's going to secure your rule. And so the king paid no attention to the people. The king paid no attention to the people. Instead, or this turn of events was the will of the Lord, for it fulfilled the Lord's message to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, the man that God said, I'm going to give you the kingdom because I'm taking it from Solomon. This is it. This is that defining moment in Israel history when all of Israel realized that the king had refused to listen to them because Solomon gave him that exact advice or that exact um, like verbatim. He said that to the people, my little finger's bigger than my father's waist. He whipped, you know, he whipped you, but I'm going to whip you with scorpions. When the people um, of Israel realized that the king had refused to listen to them, they responded, down with the dynasty of David. We have no interest in the son of Jesse. Back to your homes, O Israel. Look out for your own house, O David. So the people returned home. But Rehoboam continued to rule over the Israelites who lived in the town of Judah. And to this day, the northern tribes of Israel have refused to be ruled by a descendant of David. Rehoboam's unwise decision split the nation of Israel. His decision, out of his fear and insecurity, literally ripped the nation of Israel apart, and they never recovered. To this day, they've never recovered. Look at this timeline. You have Saul and David, Solomon, we had Rehoboam, and now the kingdom splits, and now you have Jeroboam, who's the king of the northern tribes of Israel. And the rest of the kings, check out how this plays out, the rest of the book of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles is all about all of these kings and all of the things that they did and said and all of the prophets that came to deliver them messages from God. But they split. In fact, if you look at the, um, what the scripture says about the kings, there are only six of them that God said they were good, that they did things that were good. 
there were three that were like, okay. Like, God's like, you know, they did okay, but they still did really bad things. And only one of those guys is up in um, the northern tribes, which they called Israel, and the southern was called Judah. But over 75% of the kings, there's like 40 or so kings, that came after Rehoboam, over 75% of them did evil. The pagan worship, killing their children, all sorts of stuff that's just not even fun to think about that they did. It got so bad that first it was Israel in 720 BC that was sent into exile and Israel was destroyed. Even though the prophets were telling them, turn back from sin. And then in 585 BC, we have the same thing happen to Judah, where they're taken into captivity. And eventually they return for a little bit before then being taken off into captivity yet again. And then that leads us all the way up through to the time of the Romans, which is where Israel was there, but not really. The Romans were in control, and that's when Jesus comes onto the scene. Our unwise decisions leave a permanent mark. Rehoboam's unwise decision literally split the nation. And this is what I would like to challenge you with. Our unwise decisions split the future that God wants for us. God dreams really big for us. But we have the freedom to make the decisions that we want to. Because we serve a God that says, I want you to love me, but I'm not going to make you love me. And when we make foolish decisions, whether it's the big ones or the day-in, day-out decisions of how do you treat your kids and how do you treat your spouse and how do you treat your neighbors and are you honest at work and when we make those decisions that are unwise, we split the future. We cause pain and fraction, sometimes like in our own souls, and we feel that. God really desires us to seek wise counsel when we make decisions. He wants us to get help. And we see that after the time of Jesus, Jesus' brother says this. Anytime Jesus' sibling says this, you know you need to like listen up because if a sibling can, you know, uh, if a sibling of Jesus says something, we know it's good advice. So James says this, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving and gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace seeds of peace, and reap a harvest of righteousness. The Apostle Paul, who met Jesus in a spectacular way, that's just this ridiculous series of events. He hated Christians, and then he began to love Jesus. The Apostle Paul says this, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because it will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't sound anything like what Rehoboam did, does it? 
making decisions and living our lives peacefully and with wisdom and with gentleness and with love and with humility, looking to put others before ourselves, looking to honor the Lord, looking to um, worship him and live in love. And so this is what I'd like to ask. How do we make wise decisions? I want to fly over this. It's just a bird's eye view of what is it that we can do to make wise decisions. First and foremost, we need to be faithful to God. If God is not at the center of the decisions that we're making and why we're making decisions, you lose from the get-go. If you're not going to his word, if you're not looking to honor his word, you've already lost. It's already over for you. God is the one that needs to direct our decision-making. But we also need to be honest. If we were honest with our motivations as to why we were looking for the advice that we were and why we want to make our decisions, I think like 90% of our problems would go away. Like if we were just honest about it, like I'm asking you this and I, you know, we like manipulate the way we ask and we do things to control the scenario. If you're just honest, like uh, I actually want to do this um, because... Well, it's just something I want. I think it would be fun, and it's for my own entertainment. It's for my own joy. It's not actually for anything else. Um, It's just for me. Right? Like, sometimes you actually can make that decision, but you just have to be, just be honest about, like, your intentions and your motivations helps so much, but it does take a lot of courage to be honest. And then be humble. Be willing to be wrong. Be willing to be corrected. Seek counsel from people who will tell you the truth. It stings when somebody tells you a decision you want to make is a decision that will hurt you. But usually if somebody is willing to tell you that, they have an insight from God that's there to be helpful to you. And then be at peace. Listen, we can go around and around and around and around and around with decisions we want to make. But the bottom line is at the end, follow the Lord, be humble and honest, and then be at peace with the decision you make. If it works out, amazing. If it doesn't work out, it's God's will. You know, you can make like a wrong decision and not have it be an unwise decision that's designed that will, that will hurt you in the long run. So be at peace with the outcome. And I want to encourage some of you who are like thinking this right now. You might not have a big, some of you have like big decisions to make. Like you're, you're thinking about it. Some of you are like, okay, right now. And you're just trying to like, how do I live day to day? Some of you are hearing like, oh man, I've already gone so off the rails here. I'm already out there. I'm already dealing with the consequences of bad decisions. Well, first, let me promise you this. You can go backwards, and you can actually begin to be honest and humble about things you've done and decisions you've made. But our God is a redeemer. He takes things that are bad, and he makes them beautiful and helpful for people. God restores and heals the futures that we've split. He does. Our sin and our shame is removed from us in the name of Jesus. That is wonderful. The Apostle Peter, who was like one of Jesus' top three, the Apostle Peter said this, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. God is not done with you. If you are living in a way right now where you think, I've already blown it, it's already over, and now I just have to ride out the consequences for the rest of my life, let me tell you right now, 
That's not the case. God is not done with you. If you are living and breathing, you have a purpose from God to impact and change this world. Wise decisions or unwise decisions in the past, that's behind you now. Just make good decisions moving forward. Our decisions leave permanent marks. I want to tell you the other half of the story I began to tell you at the beginning about wanting to join the National Guard. Um, shortly thereafter, I don't, I don't remember every detail, but shortly thereafter, I was in school. And the hallway that my lockers were in, the, the, the junior class that year where our lockers were, was right next to the office of our dean of students. And I must have been some sort of way, I honestly don't know, but he saw me from his office because they placed my locker right next to the dean of students' office, which is a great place for my locker to be. That way he could keep an eye on me, maybe. But he saw me, and he's like, Isaac, come here. I want to talk with you about, like, like he, he pulls me in his office, and he looks at me, and he's like, what's going on? What's wrong? And so I must have, must look angry or something. I don't know. He's like, what's going on? And I told him everything that had happened. I told him everything that had happened. And the advice that he gave me I think up to that point in my life may have been like the most profound, just helpful, practical advice anybody had ever given me. First thing he did, I thought I was on a roll. He's like, he said this to me. He said, Isaac, you know, I hope that I would never tell my child if they wanted to join the military that they couldn't do it. I hope I wouldn't make that choice. And I was like, yes, that's right affirm me. I'm right to be angry. Yeah, I know, right? You should never tell your kids that. Um, it was not his intention to do that. The next thing he said was extremely powerful. He looked right at me. I'll never forget this because it was a defining moment of my life. He looked at me and said, but don't be so stubborn and arrogant to not let your plans change. Because I was turning 18 in a few months, and I probably would have in my stubbornness enlisted and joined but he said don't be so stubborn and arrogant and that was really humbling and through some series of events that word spoken to me was impactful and was helpful and I didn't end up doing that and one of the longer term results of that is that it led me to be here with you today and I tell you that story just to say like when we receive counsel and advice that's kind of like God-ordained help, and we listen to it, it might hurt, and it might be painful, but it will always result in the goodness of God filling our lives and flowing into our lives. So I encourage you, whether it's the little decisions you make day in and day out or a big decision that you have to make, look to honor the Lord, look to love him, make that wise decision, and then you'll see the fruit of that play out in your life. Let's pray. Jesus, <clears throat> we thank you so much that you are a God who loves us deeply. You're a God who sent your son to die for us so that our sin could be taken away from us. And you've given us the ability to make free decisions in our lives that impact the world. Decisions that leave good marks and bad marks. You've given us that ability. And so I thank you that you loved us enough to die and show us the way to receive wise counsel and good insight. And I pray that for those of us with hearts that are hurting right now, 
I pray that we would find the healing that you offer because you're a God that heals and redeems and saves. I pray that as we make those little and big decisions today, tomorrow, through this year, for the rest of our lives, that we would maybe think about this story of Rehoboam as he made a decision that split the nation and decide to, to choose to follow you and to choose to love you, to be honest, to be humble, to seek after you, and then to live at peace with everything in our lives. Jesus, we love you. We pray this in your name. Well, I hope that this message was an encouragement to you, that you found yourself uplifted, that you found yourself inspired to make those small changes every single day to pursue Christ in a greater way, to take your next step towards Jesus. So until we're together again, I want to say thank you for joining in on this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast.